This is Archive Atlanta, episode 196, Franklin Garrett. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week, we're talking about Franklin Miller Garrett, Atlanta's only ever official historian. You can't, quote-unquote, do Atlanta history without running across Garrett's name and volume of work. I own almost all the books he has written, which we'll get to later in this episode. But the more I began learning about him and his life, I realized that he was a fascinating individual. And there was a lot of similarities. One of the similarities that we shared that I was really proud of is that we're both enthusiasts. Uh, Franklin Garrett did not have a history degree, but he moved to Atlanta and he let his curiosity lead the way, a way that brought over eight decades of research, published work, history groups that still exist today, and so much more. He was born on September 26, 1906, to parents Clarence and Ada in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The family moved to a couple of Midwestern cities before his father accepted a position in Atlanta as a Southeastern sales representative for Morgan Millwork Company. The family arrived in Atlanta in May of 1914 in Terminal Station, and for the first few days, they stayed at the Peachtree Inn, which was next door to St. Luke's Episcopal. His parents allowed the then eight-year-old to wander around outside, and he remembers being in awe kind of instantaneously of two houses in Atlanta, the Marion Kaiser home and the John W. Grant home. Soon afterward, they moved into a duplex on 13th Street between Peachtree and Piedmont. He attended the 10th Street School, which I think stood until there was a fire in the 60s. Then he went to Tech High, graduating in 1924. A month after graduation, he began his first job as a Western Union delivery man stationed out of the Glen Building in downtown. And he would do this job for 14 years. And it most likely led to his future as a city's historian because delivering telegrams was a way to see the city, all parts of it, parts that a young white kid wouldn't typically be going to. And he actually made deliveries on his off hours for fun on the weekends and like all other times in order to see places in Atlanta he hadn't been to yet. Franklin was also an avid cyclist, and in August of 1927, he decided he would ride his Niagara bicycle from Atlanta to Richmond, Virginia, and then Baltimore, Maryland. He was also a huge train enthusiast, and so he followed mostly the main line of the Southern Railroad. And then once he got to Maryland, he actually had to train, take the train back home because he was out of vacation days. His favorite place in the city was Miller's Bookstore on North Broad Street, and it was there that he found his first city directory published in 1886. So if you've ever flipped through a city directory, you know that there's like a little bit of magic, right? Because you have names, businesses, addresses, occupations, advertisements, some graphic design, and it's really a glance into the world of the year you have in your hands. And so this was kind of another turning point in his life. He began collecting directories, um, city directories, and then by May of 1931, he had his first published history article in the Atlanta Constitution. This was all about the Montgomery Family Cemetery, which I talked about in the DeFore uh, murders episode if you're interested in learning more. So with this newfound kind of collection obsession, he realizes that most law firms in the city, so this is the 1920s, have all the copies of the early directories because they use them for case research or deed research or something like that. So this is how he ends up walking into the Mitchell Law Firm, led by Eugene Mitchell, who is father of 
Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind. And it was Eugene Mitchell who's like, you know, this young kid walks in. He he wants to have directories. While he couldn't give him his collection, he pushed him to join the Atlanta Historical Society, which had just been formed in 1926. Now, I'm planning on doing a future mini episode about the Atlanta Historical Society one day soon, but it did play a very large role in Garrett's life. He met lifelong history friends there. Um, he lived and had offices in the society's historic homes that they owned throughout the years. And he led the organization as vice president, president, and later board of trustees. He served as the president at the age of 26. And then when the group had purchased the Jones house, Garrett ended up living there till 1947. And he wrote most of his book, which we'll talk about soon, on the sun porch. In November of 1930, at the ripe old age of 24, Franklin decided to embark on a necrology of all the cemeteries within a 30-mile radius of Atlanta. So a necrology is just a fancy term for a list of the dead or a list of burials. And his parameters were that he was going to do every white male 20 years or older that had ever lived in DeKalb or Fulton counties from 1821 until 1931. And Franklin actually acknowledges in the paper that he couldn't catalog black men. There was just, especially at this time, no available documentation, hard to come by, but he did express a wish that somebody would tackle that one day in the future. Women, not mentioned at all. For the next five years, he actually used his bicycle to catalog graves in cemeteries from Norcross to McDonough, and he spent time in courthouses recording marriages, wills, and the like. In 1935, he got his first car, and the work sped up a tiny little bit. So um, Baker Cemeteries like Oakland took him from April to September of 1933. Westview Cemetery took from late 1935 into 1936. Um, this database, or, or I guess his work, if you want to call that the necrology, is available online today at the Atlanta History Center. In 1939, after his time at Western Union, Franklin Garrett took a job with the Ward Wright Company selling commercial real estate. He had always had an interest in law, though, and so while working there, he enrolled in a two-year course at the Woodrow Wilson College of Law in Atlanta. During this time, he becomes a member of the Piedmont Driving Club, and it is a fellow member that sets him up with an interview at the Coca-Cola Company. He gets that job and he would work there for 28 years in the Office of Information and later becoming their historian. There was a brief break for World War II, um, which started in 1939. Garrett did not register for the draft until 1940, and then he wasn't inducted until 1942 at Fort McPherson. So he ended up spending his time in the military at Fort McPherson. I guess he was just good at induction, which is kind of funny because it's all about asking, you know, kind of like interviewing people, asking them questions, and then classifying which jobs they should be doing. So he worked in induction and classification. And because it's Fort McPherson, it's so nearby, they allowed him to continue living in his apartment at the Bonaire and then traveling back and forth to base throughout, throughout the whole war. By 1949, the Lewis Historical Publishing Company had reached out um, to people in Atlanta. They really wanted to publish a complete history of the city, so they called the Historical Society for Recommendations. Everyone there unanimously nominated Franklin Garrett for the task. And while he sets to work almost immediately, the first public acknowledgement um, that he's writing this is in a 1951 newspaper. Franklin would work all day long at Coca-Cola and then write all night. And he's a bachelor at this point, so he's living in the Atlanta Historical Society headquarters. Um, and there's stories about how he only went out for like a late night coffee to keep him awake so he could keep writing. 
And the best part is he did not type. He did not know how to type. So people, he hand wrote everything. Like his entire draft was handwritten, pen and paper. Now, the publisher's plan was to sell a three-volume set for $49.50, but the first two books were actually going to be history books, and then the third book was going to be like a biographical collection. And so the idea was, we're going to have this biography of all these people in Atlanta, and then if these people want to include their photo in the book, they have to pay $200. Well, 1,500 Atlantans signed up. This ended up financing the entire project before Garrett even finished the first draft. In November of 1952, he married Patricia Abbott from Birmingham, Alabama. He was 46 at the time, and she was 25. The couple moved to the Huntington Apartments across the street from the society headquarters he had been living in. And then two years later, he finally mails his final draft to the publishing company, and it is printed and distributed in the same year, so 1954. These three books, titled Atlanta and Its Environs, A Chronicle to Its People and Events, weighed over 10 pounds and contained over 2,600 pages. I am very lucky to have an original set. Um, They aren't exactly cheap or easy to find. Shout out to early listener TJ. I mean, this is like first year of the podcast. Wrote me a message and says, hey, I I ordered a set and they sent me two. And so I met him, I think, in the Whole Foods parking lot um, to buy his extra copy. So I I own it. I own all three. Also, a lot of people just own the first two, but I own like that weird biographical one. Um, If you have ever read it, it is not the easiest book to read. Uh, Garrett wrote the book in a very... I guess, conversational, like sometimes a very frantic way. And the stories just blend into one another. So it'll say 1821. And then one second you're reading about, you know, the city's first execution. And then three seconds later, you're reading about the fire department, but you're not even quite sure how it happened. And all that aside, I'm not trying to be critical. It is a, it is a wonderful book. It is missing a lot. And, you know, he was a white man writing something again in the forties and fifties, he without you know computers and the internet but at the very least it is a wonderful starting point to see something he writes about and then use it to kind of dig deeper and use the the tools that we have now in our modern day the civil war section was researched by garrett and a few friends and so when they finish this group decides that there should be continuing study on the war shortly thereafter uh richard harwell Beverly Du Bois Jr., Wilbur Kurtz, and Franklin Garrett formed what was called the Civil War Roundtable, which held monthly meetings to talk about the Civil War. By 1996, they had over 100 members, and it is actually still an active group today, although I don't know how large. In 1962 and 63, Franklin served as the president of the Roundtable. By 1961, um, Franklin had filed from divorce from his first wife, citing cruel treatment, which included burning 20 envelopes containing original manuscripts and Atlanta history um, documents. So according to him, she had threatened before to burn his papers. Um, He found the envelopes missing. He confronted her about it. She denied it. Um, While waiting for their court date, she was restricted or barred from entering his library in their shared home. Now, there's not a lot of other document, like uh, articles at least written about them. The couple did have two children at this point. So Patricia was eight and Franklin Jr. was five. Um, The divorce was granted. And then Franklin Garrett went back to his bachelor life and he would be a bachelor until 1978. In these interim years, he was awarded a doctorate from Oglethorpe College in 1970. 
He was named the official historian of the city of Atlanta in 1973. He was named the official historian of Fulton County in 1975. And he published another book in 1974, which was called Yesterday's Atlanta. And so this is filled with 230 historic photographs that he had in his personal collection and along with the archives of the, um, of the Atlanta Historical Society. In 1982, they actually took that book and then made it a basis of a six-part miniseries about Atlanta history that he also narrated. Also in the 1970s, Garrett purchased three acres along Roxborough Circle and Roxborough Road up in Buckhead, bordering the railroad tracks. So again, he was, I haven't really touched on this, he was a huge train um, history person. And so he named his house Mainline. It literally bordered the railroad tracks. It was a two-story brick and board house. Um, and then he had like a second story little porch just for train watching. When he married Frances Finney in October of 1978, that she moved into the home with him. Now, sadly, that house, they were forced out of that house when Marta was built. So the house does not exist anymore. And I think they went to live um, somewhere else that I forgot to write down. In 1980, the Georgia Railroad dedicated a diesel train specifically to him. Um, he was honored in 1991. The Fox Theater held a special showing of Gone with the Wind because Franklin Garrett had just fought to save Margaret Mitchell's house. Um, so now you can you know, visit the Margaret Mitchell house and he really led that restoration. In 1993, he was awarded the Shining Light Award, which is given out by Atlanta Gaslight. And by this time, he had an office in the uh, one of the halls at the Atlanta History Center. And they would host these things. I think they started in the 80s. And it was called Stump Franklin Garrett. Um, it was a night where Atlantans would come to ask him history questions really obscure ones. I think there was one, someone's like, well, what was the, the doorman's name at Davison's? And he famously said, which door? I also read that he was like, kind of like the live help desk. So if you had a history question or a research question, you could just call him. He would answer the phone and then he would help you research. By 1995, he and his wife were given two burial plots at Oakland Cemetery, which I think is a great PR move because his parents were buried at Westview. I mean, Westview had really taken over in prominence, I feel like. Uh, but Oakland's like, no, 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 come, come be buried here for free. And they did end up coming in handy about five years later. In March of 2000, after an extended illness, Franklin Garrett died at 93 years old at the Lenbrook Square Retirement Community. H.M. Patterson, who I talked about a couple episodes ago for Halloween, prepared his body and held the funeral. Over his lifetime, he had written detailed history books about the Trust Company of Georgia, the YMCA, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, Piedmont Driving Club, J.M. Tull Company, Adair Realty, the Coca-Cola Company, the Atlanta Historical Society, Peachtree Golf Club, and Westview Cemetery. And of course, that does not include his, his three-book volume and his picture volume. So there you have it, the story of Franklin Garrett. Um, as an amateur historian, there is just a lot of inspiration in his story. Um, it really, from everything I read, seems that he did this for the pure love of Atlanta. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.